Over 2,000 years ago, a Greek lawmaker and politician advised his followers to put more, nobility, put more trust in nobility of character than in an oath. We're about to find out whether this age-old equivalent to actions speak louder than words is the secret to earning trust in 2011. Why should we care? While history, both ancient and modern, has demonstrated that trust is an essential factor in business and public sector success, yet we cont uh, continue to require help getting it right. And while I hesitate to equate our speaker with Cupid, the relationships between organizations and their stakeholders can often benefit from a little professional guidance. The Canadian Club of Toronto is pleased to welcome back Richard Edelman to discuss the latest findings of the Edelman Trust Barometer, a global trust survey of 1,500 opinion leaders from 23 countries across five continents. We are particularly interested in what the Trust Barometer has to say about Canadian organizations and the markets they rely upon. Mr. Edelman is President and CEO of the world's largest independent public relations firm, with more than 3,100 employees and 54 offices worldwide. The firm, founded in 1952, has been a leader in public relations uh, for decades and advises many of the world's most recognizable brands. Edelman has amassed an impressive list of in industry accolades, including being named Advertising Age's top-ranked PR firm of the decade and one of its 2010 best places to work. In 2009, PR Week named Edelman PR Agency of the Year and Large Agency of the Year for the third consecutive year. Mr. Edelman has presided over the agency since 1996. He has extensive experience in marketing and reputation management and has also counseled several countries on economic development programs, including Egypt, Israel, and Mexico. Mr. Edelman has recently presented the findings of his trust barometer to the World Economic Forum, uh, Forum annual meeting in Switzerland. Today, he will share his perspectives on the state of trust in Canada and the practical consequences for those who rely on their reputations. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Richard Edelman. Thank you. So folks, uh, since it's Valentine's Day, I thought I'd uh, tell you a little joke. Um, I have a friend named uh, Pam Meyer who has a new book out called Live Spotting. And uh, for those of you who have dates tonight, um, this is putting me back like 25 years when I was dating. Um, if the guy looks at you too directly and straight the whole time, he's lying. I just want to put that in your mind for tonight um, as you... <laughs> as he tells you all those wonderful things, but if he looks at you just consistently and doesn't even like look away ever, it's lying. Anyway, there are more stuff in lie spotting that you should read about um, before you go on your hot date tonight. I'm just advising you. This has nothing to do with trust, but maybe it does actually down deep because maybe it's at the core of all of this. Okay, so um, today I'm going to talk to you about the study that we've done now for a decade. Um, it's an interesting time to be coming to Canada because you've just had the rejection of the uh, potash um, merger bid. Um, also, the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange, I gather, is being romanced by those rogues in London. Um, I was at uh, dinner last night with a certain Diane Francis who was railing against said merger. Um, 
I have no opinion, which is a good thing. If you're in PR, it's sometimes better just to be quiet. Um, but anyway, it's a good time to be discussing Brand Canada, to be discussing trust in business in Canada, and a way forward. So let's just start out with the uh, proposition that, um, that this slide better work. Um, okay, it does work. That's good. It's doing a study of opinion elites. This is not a mass survey. I just want to underline that. It's people $75,000 to $100,000 of income. It's people with college plus education, the media attentive sort, meaning three to four media a day. So not your average Joe. But it's important because we've done this over a decade, and we actually can see changes um, in the market. So that's the data set. And we do it in 23 countries. Now, over the decade, here's what we've seen. It started out, um, we started doing this survey actually because of the uh, battle in Seattle, where the NGOs took it to the streets and smashed store windows and said, you know, globalization was terrible. And we actually found that uh, NGOs were a very important force in global governance. In fact, uh, we termed the uh, phrase uh, the fifth estate in global governance, if the press is the fourth estate, NGOs are the fifth estate. In the middle of the decade, the most profound finding was that um, people were relying increasingly on colleagues at work, person like yourself. They were moving away from traditional authority sources. They were moving away from government, away from CEOs, because the Facebook phenomena, the whole idea somehow that um, I'm going to get the straight stuff from my friends. At the end of the decade, we saw the rise of business to be the most trusted institution in global governance, and then the collapse of trust in business after the events of the fall 2008. So the rise and the fall, um, like Rome, except it will be rebuilt, hopefully. So um, that's a decade worth of work. Um, what happened in the past uh, year that was particularly significant um, some of this Canadian, you can see the mittens. We're on the anniversary of Canada's first gold. Um, that was pretty, pretty emotional, I have to say, even, even for me as an American. I don't care much, but here we are. Um, <laughs> on ESPN, it was important at 6 a.m., I have to say. Um, we had five big corporate crises last year, and every one of them was episode in the U.S. That's important. So. HP, BP, Toyota, Johnson & Johnson, Goldman Sachs, every one of those a leader in category, every one. And everyone disappointed the stakeholders around. Um, second important fact, the sovereign default that almost happened to four countries in Europe, really the first time in decades that uh, we had, actually since the Asian crisis, but in Europe really the first time since uh, World War II. The continued joblessness, um, not just in the U.S., but in other uh, markets, uh, particularly in Europe. But on the positive side, the zoom forward of Brazil, the first time also that a um, G20 meeting was held not in a G8 country. So Korea hosted it. So those were the, uh, the big factors. Um, and of course, the Vancouver Olympics. Let me not forget that. Um, where are we on trust? Let's start out with trust in business. Um, and where does Canada fit in this? Canada falls in the middle. Canada's in the neutral section. It is neither in the sunshine states nor in the pessimistic. So let's start with the pessimists. The United States is now in the pessimist zone along with so-called old Europe, UK, France, Germany. No, actually not Germany. UK, France, 
Russia. Germany moved to the center this year, miraculously, out of the malaise um, into the middle. At the sunshine area would be Brazil, India, China, and profoundly so. They're in the 70s, oftentimes 80s. If you look at this as a time series, what you see is that Canada generally stays in a fairly narrow band um, in sort of the 50% trust business zone. At the high point, you have the Sunshine Guys, the China, India in the 70s. In the lows, you have UK, France, Germany. Um, but Germany broke out of that this year, and the US replaced Germany as a very sour place about business. We find it very interesting that trust in government in Canada is higher than trust in business. This is not a great thing for business. Um, and I will just point out to you that trust in government in Canada is substantially higher than that of most of the Western nations. Substantially higher. <clears throat> so the US would be at 40. Germany would be at 30, UK would be mid-30s, etc. Trust in media. Very interesting again to see that Canada's trust in media has basically been maintained while there is substantial erosion of trust in media in the two sort of most comparable markets of the US and the UK. The argumentation is that in the other two markets, um, the tone has become much more politicized. Um, much more um, fractionalized, factionalized, um, the uh, so-called Bill O'Reilly factor you don't have. Um, we'll, we'll lend you Glenn Beck anytime you want him. <laughs> you can have him for good, in fact. Um, you can even have Rachel Maydow. Um, now, this year, and it's very significant, um, trust in NGOs in Canada jumped substantially. And I'm going to link this to another data point uh, later on in the presentation. Trust in NGOs in Canada is substantially above the global average. It is at the high point ever in the surveys that we've done. Our theory on this is that, in fact, it is a vote of no confidence in your other institutions, particularly in business. It is not that NGOs are so brilliant. It is that the others are not so brilliant. An important comparison point. If you take the four institutions, business, government, media, and NGOs, sum them and divide by four to get an average, what you see is over the last four years, Canada has moved straight up in trust. In fact, among the developed countries, it is highest now in trust of any of the sort of G8 traditional group. I know the NHL has the old six. Well, this is the G8. Anyway, Canada's at the high of the G8. The US has gone from fourth from the top to third from the bottom. And in fact, of the 23 countries we survey, the US is only fourth from the bottom. Below it are Russia, Ireland, and the UK. Interesting times. Better to be here than there. Meaning, not, I'm not moving, but it's just a thought. Um, now, you'll be very pleased to know, and you can sing O Canada or whatever else you want right now, but Canada is and still remains one of the top three places to have a global headquarters if you want trust as wind behind your sails as a Canadian company. If you're RIM, Bombardier, SNC-Lavalin, and you're going into China or whatever, you have big trust advantage. Big trust advantage over American, over many of the European markets. And very important, 
Trust in brand Canada is particularly high in the fastest growing markets in the world. So in a Brazil, in a China, we're talking in the 80s plus percent. Why? Social democracy, eco-friendly, good employer, etc. If I were RIM, I'd put that Canada thing all over me, but they just have not done that yet. Um, just take a look at this. Canadian companies um, are trusted by 7 out of 10 in China, Brazil, Germany, India, France, etc. It's a glorious record, and it's going north. It's going up. It's good. Now, who do Canadians trust? Interesting. They trust their own. You trust Canadians. You trust Japanese. You don't exactly trust Americans. What a shock. That's a real stunner. I feel terrible. <laughs> um, you don't trust the BRIC countries at all. So in other words, a Brazilian company coming here, you don't trust. Um, so that's the story. Tech. Tech is the angel. Um, this is true around the world. Technology industry is number one in trust um, in Canada. What's number two? Charlie, take a bow. It's the brewing industry. <laughs> you love your... You love your brands. It's all good. Um, but food and beverage follows. Retail follows that. What isn't good here? Well, I'm going to show you. Financial services, media, and I told you I had to do this. Insurance gets the uh, bell around its neck for the worst of the year. Um, so it used to always be media, but insurance sprinted it out at the end and passed is the least trusted industry in Canada. Manulife accepted. Um, so what fell this year in Canada? Well, energy, pharma, and insurance. What didn't fall? Banks, miraculously. <clears throat> so in fact, is it oil sands? Could be, for energy. Um, we find this statistic remarkable, which is to say that trust in banks in Canada is just about exactly the same as it was before the crisis. Compare that to the drop in places like US, Germany, UK, Ireland. Trust in Ireland is the low. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't believe we actually found 6% of people say they trusted banks in Ireland. But <laughs> you got to have some data integrity. That's the truth. <laughs> um, but trust in banks went from number three institution out of 15 to number 15 out of 15 in the US this year. It's the least trusted of any. So that's pretty impressive. This is a really important slide. What are the constituent elements of corporate reputation? Well, quality products and services. Yeah, got that, check. That's always been, of all the years we've done it, that's been the top. But what's the second? In most countries, well, transparent and honest business practices. Third is a company I can trust. Fourth is a uh, place that treats employees well. But in Canada, what's the number one thing? Transparent business practices. That's the number one thing people are looking for. Second is product. Third is company I can trust. And fourth is employees. What's at the bottom? Delivers consistent financial returns to investors and innovation. We found that very interesting. We thought innovation would be quite high in Canada because of tech and what reputation, whatever. Um, so what's changed? 
It used to be the top three box was superstar CEO, makes the numbers, quality products. So those two have gone down to the bottom. Now, this is also a very significant slide. The question we asked is, do you believe that companies need to create shareholder value in a way that aligns with societal interest, even if it comes at the expense of shareholder value? 82% of Canadians said, yes, that's correct. Yes, that's correct. We think you have to have purpose and profit. And if we have to look for one to sacrifice in favor of the other, purpose first, profit second. And because you're so trusting in your government, three quarters of Canadians say that government has to step in to ensure that business behaves responsibly. The echo effect, even though Canada did not have the scandals that the U.S. had, the echo effect onto Canada was to give reinforcement to the position that government has always had here, which is as a strong actor, particularly as a referee. Now, very interesting differences between Canada and rest of world um, on who is trusted as spokesperson. As true in the rest of the world, academic, technical expert about a company, and an NGO rep. Now, what's different? In most other countries, a regular employee is something around 35 to 40 percent. In Canada, it's 91 percent. CEOs in the rest of the world is more like 40 percent. In Canada, it's 89 percent. Also, person like yourself, in some markets like uh, the U.S., we see major drop-offs. In Canada, it's from 90 to 80. Okay, that's not that horrible. But the point I want to make to you is it's not CEO alone, meaning you can't carry the game with CEO alone, but also you have quite high trust in chief executives. You haven't had maybe as many issues as we have south of the border. But I do want to point out to you that even so, the order of things has changed in the last three years. Even though a person like yourself has not come off that much, just note that it's now of the eight, the least, instead of being third or fourth from the top. So you should not rely primarily on that which is what I call horizontal communication. It is a reinforcing, not a primary um, means of, of communicating. Now, we also, because there were so many crises this year, whether it was BP or Toyota or Goldman, we said, so who do you want to hear during a crisis? Because it might vary from who you want to hear from normally. So it depends. The answer is it depends. What kind of crisis is it? So if it's a product recall, we want to hear equally from the technical expert in the company and the CEO, equally. If it's a so-called company crisis, so I don't know, Goldman Sachs, a company crisis, we want to hear from an academic, a third party first, a CEO second, a technical expert third. Most important of all, if there's an oil spill, if there's something that affects the community, who do we want to hear from first? The chief executive by a three to one margin for Canada and then a third party. Now, this data is different depending on market. We found this fascinating. Um, we found, for example, in the States, Partly as a result of BP, they don't believe the chief executives. 
They just don't believe them. So they got to hear from a technical expert first, and a third party second, and a CEO third. So it depends on the market. This is also very significant. The first year that we've seen out of 10, the first place people are going for news about a corporation is a search engine. What this implies is that people are going into the house of information through the door of search. Then, where do they go? Online news sources. And those online news sources tend to be brands, mainstream brands. So in order, it's the Globe and Mail, it's CBC, then it goes to The Economist, um, The Star, etc. But it tends to be online brands with mainstream names. It is not the paper versions thereof. Also, fundamental to the understanding of trust today is skepticism. A Canadian needs to hear something three to five times before he or she believes it, from different people in different places. One thing to see it from a friend on Facebook, another to prove it out on CBC, and then make sure that the blogger, whoever it is, is saying the same thing. It all has to line up. That means surround sound if you're in the communications business. Now, trust also has very tangible aspects. If you're thinking about your trust score in your head, um, what does it do for you? Well, first of all, it enables you to sell products. It allows you to be recommended um, to a friend or colleague, perhaps as a place to work. Now, what doesn't it do? It doesn't give you the incentive to buy shares. It's not enough. You know, there has to be another reason to buy shares. But probably the most significant statistic of all, remember I just said that it takes you three to five times to hear or see something before you believe it? If you go into a crisis as a distrusted company, 63% of people in Canada say it only needs once or twice max for me to believe bad stuff about you. <clears throat> That's very important. Also, if you go in as trusted, and here Canadians are a little more skeptical than the average, if a, com a company is trusted, it only takes once or twice for 40% of the people to hear it before they believe you. So trust is really transformed. Um, our argument is that the old mentality was what we call the trust fortress approach, where the basis was we're a company, our goal solely is to make money. What else do we do? We protect the brand at all costs. We stand alone. We can stand alone because you know, we're company X and we have the brand that allows that. But most important of all, we control information. It's ours, it's not yours, meaning we know, you don't, we'll let you know when and if we have to. What's changed? <clears throat> the new trust architecture is the purpose of business has changed from just profit to profit and purpose. You have to be part of a societal framework that works. Second, you now have to explain how it is that you make money. How do we price? How do we source? Do we have excessive leverage or not? Goldman Sachs 69-page report the other day um, shows how they do proprietary trading, why they do it, how much of their client's money is at risk. And the last point is engagement. Who are we talking with and when? It's every day, all day, and the idea is that, in fact, we're going to speak to an entire stakeholder community, not just to Bay Street or Wall Street. So, in fact, our argumentation is that business must align performance and purpose, that it must 
recognize that the new media landscape requires um, you to be in all four parts of the media cloverleaf, which is to say mainstream media, new media, social media, and owned media. Every one of your companies ought to consider having its own channel on the web and providing its own content. If it knows about nutrition, if it knows about supply chain, if it knows about eco, be in the conversation. There's a new demand for CEO participation, uh, not as the only play, but to be particularly in crisis, face forward and responsible. Um, and then finally, the idea that trust is really a protective agent, that it's a smart thing to uh, invest ahead of time in a trusted reputation. So with that, I'd like to take any questions. Thank you. So ladies and gentlemen, we'll have uh, two microphones circulating among the room. Um, number one is right there. Number two, right there. So just uh, signal to one of our, uh, our microphone holders if you'd like to ask a question. I think your uh, sample size for Canada was about 200. Could you tell us what's the motivation for the people to answer that survey? The people in that sort of demographic? It's a good question. I think we, um, we call, we ask, and they are willing. Um, that's not a very good answer, but it's the truth. We, we don't pay them to, to uh, participate. It takes about 30 minutes. We tell them it's about trust. Maybe they have a reason to want to participate. We're going to influence corporations to be more trustworthy. Next question. Hi there. You, um, you spoke a lot about the um, trust factor and who people are looking to uh, in, in case of um, crisis or a product recall. What about a new entrant to the marketplace? Who do Canadians want to hear from when uh, a U.S. company or retailer or somebody big is coming into the Canadian market? So I think the general point to make is that in a time of uncertainty, people look to those with authority. So I would orient to those with academic credentials, technical expert, um, then I would say also be careful to use someone from Canada. There's a bit of a hometown bias, and this is not unique to Canadians. Um, when we were working for um, Bridgestone, uh, we found that uh, the worst person to go around and say how high quality um, the tires were was a Japanese who would apologize consistently about why the things, you know, the cars turned over and we're sorry and it won't happen again. No. <laughs> you want an American to say, yeah, that was then, this is now, we're, you know, th there's a cultural thing, right? You know, Canadians behave and talk in a different way than Americans or Japanese. So those are the piece of advice. Next. I was interested in your comment about um, the four cloverleaf of media mm. and the role of traditional media still plays because we tend to think, no, we can just dispense with traditional media. But also that the social media scores are so low and yet it still remains part of the cloverleaf. I'm just sort of interested in the interaction between what is trusted and, and that role of traditional media still. So I think traditional media is being consumed differently. It's why in the Cloverleaf, I argue that there's mainstream and there's new, and they're both, um, they're, they're sort of like this now, because that which is Globe and Mail and GlobeandMail.com is almost indistinguishable. Um, 
the reality of social is it's almost more powerful as a mirror and as a recommender than uh, as a primary source doc. So, for instance, Huffington Post gets one-third of its traffic um, directly from Twitter and Facebook. One-third of its traffic. It says, you know, you can tweet and say, I saw a really great piece this morning in HuffPo or some other, and people just go straight to it. Um, link love. <clears throat> Next. Yes. In the back. You had uh, mentioned at one point that 82% of Canadians uh, felt that the com company had to have purpose uh, and not just profit. How does that compare to um, respondents in other countries? Are we uh, particularly altruistic or um, do respondents in the UK and America feel the same way? We were very impressed by this. I'm going to bring this slide up. Um, sorry, I'm going to make you dizzy here for one second. Um, Okay, so um, you can see 90% of Germans, 89% of uh, Brits. Now, 89% of Chinese. Now, who doesn't believe this? And then I'm going to tell you, we asked a corollary question in a second. Um, so <clears throat> Japanese, UAE, don't believe this as much. Um, we asked a corollary question about, do you believe in Milton Friedman's adage that the only social responsibility for business is to make a profit? And so... The countries that said, oh, absolutely, that's true, are UAE, Singapore, Japan, et cetera. Um, and so those that are kind of the most classic market economy types would be like that. Hi, Samantha over here. Um, <coughs> you, you mentioned that it's important for CEOs to be part and engaged in social media, and I just wondered how engaged you are in social media on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And to the CEOs in Canada, other than uh, the ING president, I think he's about the only one that's actively engaged in, uh, in social media. So I just wanted your comment on that. So um, I'm pretty active. I mean, I post to my blog at least once a week. I post to my Twitter account once a day, once every two days, Facebook the same, um, mostly as part of my continuing global roadshow. I mean, I just, I take pictures of what I think is interesting and say, isn't this cool? I mean, I, and I don't have much brilliant to say. I mean, um, although I was at a movie the other night and I tweeted about it, and of course in the Globe and Mail interview this morning, the guy says right away, so why did you like the movie The Company Men? It is, it, you, you write, you're just out there. Um, so I feel it's my responsibility to walk the talk. Yes, I'm trying. Um, should CEOs do this? Not if they are not able. You may have other people in the company better able. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it to all of your CEOs. That would be a disaster. And you've got to be able to take some heat for it, because periodically you're going to say something a little odd. But it does humanize you. I mean, I, I, I recommend all of you my um, blog post on my trip to uh, Brazil where I went under um, Iguazu Falls and got completely annihilated by this video. And my daughter was taking the video. And anyway, it does humanize you. <laughs> Let me say this. Humiliate is another word. Yes. 
Richard, the slide that you have up now is really fascinating because I don't think many people would disagree with the finding, but it really puts a lot of pressure on today's CEOs who, in, particularly in the last 15 years, a CEO's lifespan is much shorter than it used to be, and CEOs generally aren't allowed to have a long-term vision for their companies. They have to report to their boards and to their shareholders, and they're really only as good as their last quarterly results. And that flies in the face of having not necessarily a longer-term vision, but a more altruistic vision for I, their I think you, you're, you're making a very acute observation, which is that um, we have a disconnect between Bay Street and what the stakeholders are saying. And the CEO is like on two rocks that are getting pulled apart, and as a guy, that's really worst place to be. Um, so, um, you know, and you're trying to balance, right? And so the response by some of the corporates we're dealing with is we're not going to offer quarterly guidance. You can um, take our numbers for the year or not, and you can invest with us or not. But this is a perspective that we have as a portfolio transformation or whatever, and here's how we're going to do our business. And we're not going to be able to attract the best employees unless we have this mentality. And we're not going to be able to, you know, do business in communities. You know, if you're in the brewing business, you know, you've got to have the right uh, connection because otherwise people will attack you for whatever. Um, drink driving or whatever, it, and so you have to be part of this uh, discussion in society. This was a big topic in Davos, by the way, big discussion. And the CEOs do feel the pressure, and they feel very angry at, um, it's not even quarterly. You know, some of the companies are being followed by this so-called expert analyst types who say, here's how, many, here's how many people are going into your stores this week. We know the numbers. We're going to short the stock. Cause, uh, so they feel tremendous pressure this way. Thank you. Um, I like your thoughts. It seems like we're in a in a world now where the traditional roles of business, of of uh, of government, and of nonprofits are blurring, and corporations do have a social purpose. You have nonprofit organizations that are also have social enterprises. Government is behaving differently as well. And it seems to me in that context, there's a, a, a such an importance of partnerships between sectors to a degree that there never has before. And what you know, your viewpoint, even in terms of what you measure, like will partnerships, like think when things aren't as clear cut, that, that one's trust should be in business or in nonprofit or in government, will the way you measure what you do be changing? I, I think your notion of cross, um sector partnerships is right, but I would say um, if you're dancing, one person usually leads, and I would recommend to you that um, business be the person leading, as opposed to waiting until government has gone so far down the track that you have a necessity to be the dance partner and get your toes stepped on. Um, and I think to be a private sector diplomat would be what I would recommend to your CEOs in the moment, to go out and say, Look, here's the right framework for how we should uh, do the insurance business, and here's, here's an appropriate means of regulation, and we're going to also bring in um, civil society to make sure that, that it's being done right. But lead, don't wait. That's a big message. Thank you. Uh, Tom Gerling with the uh, Provincial Police. Could you speak about the interconnectivity between perception of uh, personal safety and security and profitability? 
For you, I'll answer anything. <laughs> um, my flight's in a half an hour. Uh, I think people feel very uncertain. I think they feel even more uncertain where I come from because maybe, you know, the United States has sort of had it so good for so long and, and the sort of move from first place to third place or whatever is, is kind of dismal. And Canadians have never necessarily sort of felt in first place. Maybe there's always been a kind of, it's good to be in second place kind of approach until the hockey game last year. I, I bow to you. Not happily, but I do. Um, so I just think between personal security, economic security, um, the role of the environment, um, I think it all matters. I think for those of you in the tech business, you have to pay real attention to, um, on the good side, what's happened in Egypt, on the um, bad side, on um, the threats to RIM in the UAE and other places where people just say it's just not acceptable. You can't, you know, you can't go around our security systems. And um, over time, uh, privacy. That's going to be a real big issue. Big, big. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. I'd like to welcome to the podium Alison Lote, a director of the Canadian Club of Toronto. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Edelman, as I was listening to your presentation today, and I, I thought this was quite fitting given that it's Valentine's Day, I was reminded of the words of a Scottish poet, George MacDonald, who said, to be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. So it's in that spirit that I'd like to thank you for sharing your perspectives on trust with us today and for shining a bit of a light on what it means for us as Canadians. As you observed, there are some hopeful signs for us as Canadians. Trust is on the rise, um, but much work still needs to be done. Your talk is a very important reminder that businesses and governments and civil society organizations must remain focused on earning and keeping trust, and that citizens and investors, investors must insist on transparency and engagement. This is the second year that you presented these results to us, and I enjoyed them as much as I did last year, and we hope you will come back again. Uh, again. Uh, so everyone, if you could, please join me in thanking Mr. Edelman. Thank you very much, Allison. Thanks again, Richard. Uh, thank you to Edelman Public Relations for helping make this uh, event possible. Uh, we'd also like to thank Rogers and 680 News for their ongoing promotion of Canadian Club events. Ladies and gentlemen, this meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>